Okay, welcome to Just Another Bozo on the Bus. This is episode seven. Um, and today I'm happy to welcome Athena <laughs> <laughs> Hammond. Miss Hammond is here to join us. And uh, we're going to be talking about all kinds of things. So I want to welcome you. Thanks for coming today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have you. We really haven't, gosh, we haven't seen each other in, I don't know, what, a couple months? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So you've been out in about, uh, now you're living in Salt Lake, West Jordan full time. Yep. And tell me about what you're doing there. You're working at the... It's a pet grooming um, business. Uh, we have one in Mill Creek and in West Jordan, and um, I'm an office manager for both those locations. Of course you are an office manager. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a fun job. Yeah. Uh, you, you would be, make a great boss. I don't think everyone <laughs> would agree with you on that. But. All right. So as we usually start out the program, we talk a little bit about our personal story. and we, I, I mean, I call it the Bozo story, but this is the story of... When I say how you got here, how we ended up here, and yes, I will include Utah into that for your journey out here because you you didn't grow up here. You grew up just outside Atlanta, right? On a, yep. on a ranch um, or a farm? Or? Well, my family um, owns about 100 acres um, in Winder, so it's, that's about an hour away from Atlanta, but... That's not really quite the suburbs. Then. No, no. I mean, it's it's out in the middle of nowhere. But um, I grew up on about 100 acres out there um, until I was about eight. And then my mom remarried. And then we moved closer to the city, um, kind of by Marietta. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Yeah. And let's see. When you say your mom now, I, I don't want to complicate too much here because it's easy to do that. We're talking about your... Not your, you know, not your biological mother, or no, she, no, my mom. I have a, a dad. I have two dads. Okay, I have yeah, a stepdad, and <laughs> it's me that's confused, then, which okay. is not, which is not difficult to do. It's okay, so. okay. So bi- that's right, biological mom. How could I forget your mom? I've met your mom a few times. So, okay, then you guys moved then closer to Atlanta, and then eventually you 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 came out here. But one of the things that that always struck me, and and when when you and I met and and I know under the circumstances where people meet in sort of crisis times in their life. But one of the things that kind of stood out to me was um, the that time in your life. It was a few years before, I think, that we met. And you had said to me, I, you know, there, there were so many people in my life that have passed mm-hmm. in the last, and I don't remember, you probably know the, the timing of this better, obviously. Yeah. But it was it was a it was a rather short period of time, a few years, maybe three mm-hmm. or four years. Um, you had a lot of friends pass, and what was the primary? I mean, our our story, what, whatever it is, it usually has to do with you know our our journey through you know substance abuse, addiction of some kind. What was your experience with that? Um, you know, growing up, I mean, from when I was probably sixteen to now, I've had over thirty people in my life die. Um, you know, and that number still goes up, but, you know, it was either, um, suicides, drugs, drug related violence, accidental overdoses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the result of a lot of those. Yeah. And, and so just a a moment, just on this, the suicide, um, issue, the, the, the suicide rates have been escalating not quite exponentially like um, opiate overdoses are. I mean, we are in a in an opiate epidemic 
which has been growing continuously. But we're also in the, in the and maybe it is a suicide epidemic, but the, this, the suicide rates, especially even here in Utah, have been increasing dramatically. In fact, it is the primary cause of death between, I think it's 10 and 17-year-olds, mm-hmm. males yep. in this state. So, um, so kind of getting back to your story and, and living through that, and what did you notice? What, what kind of impact did that was that having on you? This is kind of during high school, or um, it started, you know, in high school, and then it—I mean, more of it happened after I had graduated and actually moved out here. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't like to say it gets easier mm-hmm. to deal with. Um, you know, each one is different to me, and it affects me differently. Um, but the how I've handled it and learned how to overcome things like that become easier and working through them and talking about it and um but it had a, a you know a huge impact on my life growing up um mm. i was confused i didn't know why and then i'd start questioning well why why haven't i died like what have i done you know like start bargaining all these things and i mean we've talked about this yeah. a million times um you know, I, but I don't like to ever say, oh, you get used to it or it's just, it gets easier. I mean, it just doesn't, the way you handle it, you just mm-hmm. handle it differently. Yeah. yeah. Um, so go, going back, let's, <clears throat> let's start off then and, and, and knowing that, that this, there's this grief and loss element and especially the loss of um, friends <laughs> and, and family associated with this um, through various causes. Um, kind of what, what was your initial journey um, through your relationships with, with drugs and alcohol. How, how did that begin? What, what was that? What's the beginning of that story? Um, you know, I, <clears throat> growing up, <clears throat> my mom, you know, struggled with her addiction and, you know, and I, you know, at a young age didn't really know what was going on, but, you know, eventually came and saw that that was the issue. But, you know, as a high schooler, you know, I, it's kind of just like, I don't want to say like cliche to say, but like I fell into the wrong crowd. I got involved (laughs) with, you know, smoking weed and drinking and it was really innocent. And, um, but this, but you were saying this growing up, you had already been surrounded by addiction within the family because of the the issues that your mother was struggling with. And, um, my father before my, my dad, not my stepfather, but Mm -hmm. my dad, um, you know, he, he drank alcohol a lot Mm -hmm. growing up and I didn't really have much of a relationship with him. Um, and then I moved away and didn't really see very much of him after that. But, Mm -hmm. um, my mom definitely struggled and I, I saw that and, um, that definitely had, you know, an impact on me. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in a way I justified certain things in my head to make it okay for me to act out and do things and, you know, But I was still, I mean, I was... Mom does this, and that makes it an easy rationalization. Yes. You know, and and she's kind of checked out anyway. Yes. um, Because of the... And and if I remember, she was into pills. Yes. And that's probably the most... um, That, between that and alcohol, um, that was probably uh, common, you know, in her generation at that time. So um, that kind of gave you a... uh, like a it sounds terrible, an introductory. Yeah, you know, no, and it, I mean, you, yes, absolutely. I mean, in my head, that's what it, it's it seemed to be. So. Okay, okay. 
So how you were saying that all started in in high school and you started smoking marijuana and went in the wrong crowd. And how did that begin to escalate? When did you notice sort of a shift from just a little bit of partying or you know experimentation to it becoming almost a lifestyle? Um, so I got involved in a relationship that I stayed. Of course, that's how <laughs> how it starts. Of course. Yeah, right. um, no, well, we dated most of our high school years together, like three three and a half three years and um you know that's a long-term I, relationship in high school absolutely oh god it was horrible though it was one serious toxic relationship but of course it taught me a lot um you know i i i try to think back on this kind of thing all the mm-hmm. time because i i always i still try and search for that that point where it crossed over mm-hmm. for me um i can't really tell you that you can't, there's no defining. I, there's no, there was no. It's like a long, yeah. gradual way building yes. up almost. And yeah. I mean, I remember crossing, you know, it's an invisible line and you mm-hmm. cross it and then, you know, you either come back from it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, yeah, it was, I, I can't really tell you where I crossed that mm-hmm. line. Well, do you, do you, where, when was the, for you, as far as substances go, you in high school, you know, you were were you drinking and doing marijuana, and then what kind of things were you doing? Well, drinking marijuana, coke, you know, mm-hmm. acid, just like th- those kinds of things. And then I started getting into my friends had you know pills, mm-hmm. so started doing Xanax, started taking you know Lortab and things like that. And then eventually, you know. Here come oxies and roxies and all all of those other things, and mm-hmm. you know, kind of opened up a floodgate to a whole other downward like downward spiral. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, those those like roxies and opiates and things like that. At that point in my time, in time when I was fifteen mm-hmm. years old, mm-hmm. um, you know, led me to becoming addicted to heroin by the age of sixteen. Mm-hmm. And so, fifteen years old. High school, living outside of or near, nearby yeah. Atlanta, and doing opiates almost every day. I would say, yeah, yeah. whenever I could. Whenever when you could get yeah. them, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and where did you get them? By the way, did you, were you were you like a lot of uh, people that you know I know that would would uh, visit uh, neighbors. Uh, uh, medicine cabinet, so to speak. No, actually, uh, it started with uh, one of my best friend's moms. Was she had a, a tumor in her back, and she got prescribed um, oxys, mm-hmm. and he would help himself to them, and he gave me my first one. And he was, shared with you. Uh, it was on my actually my fifteenth birthday. Happy the birthday! First, yeah, uh, I I remember that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and I just remember, I mean, I still remember everything about it. You still remember the feeling? I remember exactly where I was, the way the house smelt, like those things. Like, I mean, it made a huge impact on my life. People, I've heard people often, and you know, I was not a a, a narcotic user. That was not my thing. I like to go up, Um, (laughs) you know. Yes. <laughs> Just say, give me the rush. Give me the euphoria. Yeah. No, but I've always heard this when that that moment when you kind of like the, the relationship 
begins with opiates and I know it sounds funny to talk about this but I had that I mean you've heard me say this I've had a I had a long-term intimate relationship with cocaine (laughs) absolutely and and so but I've heard it over and over again that 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 when that relationship with opiates starts it feels like all of a sudden like a warm blanket is yeah did you have a similar kind of experience like that or not yeah I mean I I don't remember um I remember the feeling and everything and I remember like I love this Mm mm-hmm I remember that going through my head. Like, I love this. And, you know, and I look back on it now and I was like, I was 15 years old. Like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, seriously. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about. But well, it it is crazy to think about. But the truth is, is that you're not alone. Um, I mean, the the numbers are actually increasing the Mm -hmm. number of, you know, adolescents and and mid teens that are. Um, experimenting or becoming, you know, hooked on, especially opiates, and and that those numbers have only been increasing. The way you came about them, usually a sick a sick family member or a friend of a sick family member, or whatever that that introduces, you know, the the drugs, and um, and of course they they've always been over prescribed, and probably the least over prescribed is for cancer patients. The most overprescribed being, you know, people that yeah. are trying to manage, you know, pain management. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So you remember that, and then kind of it began to escalate from there. Yes, very okay. much so, and really quick. What's quick? Um, probably within, you know, I was fifteen at that time. So I mean, by the time I was sixteen, I mean, I was I had moved. From, you know, snorting oxys to shooting heroin. And, um, again, got involved with that with the boyfriend that I was with. I mean, the pills weren't really cutting it. Too expensive and, you know, not always around. And Mm -hmm. it's not like we had, like, real jobs to support, (laughs) you know, a habit. Sure. And, um, I mean, it's crazy. I could have even have supported a habit like that even then. But... Well, and, and, I mean... a lot of people don't know this, but heroin, I mean, maybe people listen to this too, but heroin's a lot cheaper than, than buying Oh, pills, absolutely. Uh, unless you have a, a large prescription for pain, you know, management or something like that. And even those, even the people that I've treated that have, that actually stuck to the pills that had massive quantities still were buying them off the streets at ridiculous amount yep. of prices. And of course, they always feel that they're different than the heroin user because... <laughs> it was manufactured in oh, a laboratory and prescribed it by a doctor. It was made in a lab. It's yeah. not, you know, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but most people that that actually experience all these different drugs, especially all the different opiates, know everything's all the same. Yes. In fact, the, the strongest opiates that there are uh, is probably pure heroin. I mean, maybe there's some derivatives like fentanyl and, and carfentanil and things like yeah. that that are, are pretty strong, but. Heroin is where most of the problems end up. So Absolutely. So you, you were 16, you were shooting heroin. How were things at home? <laughs> oh, man. So bad. I was, I was, I mean, at that point in time, I was in, so involved in such a toxic relationship and so angry at the world. I was just, I mean, I didn't really know how to function. Um, and I... I mean, I was horrible to my parents. I was stealing from them. I was not coming home for days on end. Um, You know, me and my mom were either really, really good or we were really, really bad. And um, 
Well, yeah. and you were obviously you're probably both in a in a using Absolutely. cycle at this point. You know, and then my you know my stepdad, um, you know, doing all he can. I mean, he had <clears throat> children of his own. We were there was four kids in the house, um, and I mean, all, all of our personalities and just clash with each other. And then you have me who was just like this crazy, like wild child, like no one's going to tell me I can do anything. Like I'm going to do this. And well, you were 16. You already, abs- you already knew everything. Absolutely. Right? And, um, you, how many siblings did you have at home at this time? Uh, so I had my brother, um, and then my two step siblings. I mean, we've been, our families have been together for so long. They're they're my siblings, yeah, but right. I yeah. So yeah, I was not. Things at home were not good. Well, what what brought you guys out to Utah? What what when did that? How old were you when that changed? Because that was within a couple of years of that. I'm gonna guess. Uh yeah. So I came out here six years ago. Um, my dad, my stepfather, got a job on Hill. He uh, works for Lockheed. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I needed a, a change of scenery. I needed to tr- maybe try and, you know, do something different. And so mm-hmm. I came out here with them to try and change and, you know, get out of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And then you guys moved right to South Weber. Yes. <laughs> South Weber. Okay. <laughs> Not Ogden. There's such a difference. So, um, but you've always been there. I mean, when you moved out, you've always been in that area, right? Mm-hmm. The, okay, the Weber. Okay, and then um, kind of take us through what what that was what that was like. And did did it ever did you did you ever slow down at, at any point uh, after you came out here, or did it just stay? Did, so, did your consumption stay about the same? Um, I was on Suboxone when I came out here. Oh, okay. So you and, you had done some, you were and I had moved to Texas. A little bit before I came out to Utah. I lived in Texas for about like 10 months or something like that. With family or with... Mm-hmm. My dad okay. was um, out there on the Air Force Base okay. uh, near Fort Worth. And, <clears throat> you know, I actually did pretty well out there. I mean, I still drank and I wasn't using hard... What you would call hard drugs mm-hmm. like opiates or cocaine or anything mm-hmm. like that. But... Um, and then I came out to Utah and I was on Suboxone and I was doing really good and you know I was just trying to to change out here I mean I was in a complete new environment but it was a complete cultural shock for me out here a little different than the east than the east oh it was such an adjustment you're from the southeast I'm from the northeast yeah you know and uh, I would say probably even as different as those cultures are they're probably a lot closer to then coming out west and the culture here, especially oh, it's along the, so the Wasatch Front. It's, yes. Yeah, much different. And I mean, you know, it took me a while to adjust out here mm-hmm. and, you know, find a group of friends that I fit in with. And and I found that. and <clears throat> But I uh, strayed from that path. <laughs> straight, straight from the past. I from doing from from like doing good. From, I from living a more moderate a life of more moderation. Yes, yes. I I met a guy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> of course, a relationship. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I met a guy. And actually, I was with him like on and off for about four years. Isn't that interesting? The same. If, uh, 
Now, I know we talked a lot. We've talked yeah. for over the years about relationships. But I guess I never put the two and two together at, mm-hmm. until this moment. That yeah. You were in sort of that same kind of three to three to four year time period. Um, and so what, it, it, after getting to this relationship, how quickly did you find yourself back doing heroin again? Hmm. I would say probably about five months, maybe. And uh, we both did it you know i started doing it again and he was doing it he had done it before and um and yeah we just were you guys using when you first met no not i mean we smoked weed and and you know Mm -hmm. drank and and things like that but um he knew i was on suboxone so we knew i had a history with it Mm -hmm. and um that's kind of a giveaway right? oh absolutely and so but we one day i i don't even really remember the conversation that happened between us but we just kind of were like fuck it let's go and Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's the end of the conversation was just like fuck it let's go get some and (laughs) and i mean holy shit there we go back to square one again and Mm -hmm. then did you know pretty quickly that things went off? Did you know it was going off the rails pretty quickly? Or did you think you could manage it? Because I, I always wonder, you know. I always thought I could manage it. You did? I, I always think. thought. And But then I get, I got, you know, I get sober and then I look back and I'm like, what the fuck, you're not managing shit. <laughs> it's the truth, though. Right. Like, it's, I mean. It's, it's like trying to manage, you know, those, um, you know, like those in the caverns of like the, um, oh gosh, the... Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies and they go into those caves and they're on those little kind of uh, coal carts or things like that or like in yeah. Harry Potter that when they're going through those tunnels and they're mm-hmm. trying to manage you know something that's completely out of control that's kind of like what absolutely that's kind of like what addiction is like you absolutely know? it's it can go off the rails any moment mm-hmm. at any moment and it did and it did how did it go off the rails for you um we just I mean it was basically the same kind of the situation you know before i had left to go to utah mm-hmm. like i was just you know shitting on my parents and and just not caring about anything and we were like i was fighting with you know the guy that i was with mm-hmm. and we were fighting all the time and it just turned so toxic so quick and you know with him you know, we spent every day together. I mean, even before using, I mean, we were, we had so much fun. Mm-hmm. We would go off, do all these adventures. He actually helped me get off the Suboxone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just, at, at that time, he seemed to be a positive thing in my life. Um, but we started getting into okay. shit again. And then, well, well, just let's pause right there for a sec. Because I think... That we, you know, I, I think there's a tendency to always look at the, the negative side of things. Mm-hmm. And, and I know I, I do this every time we we um, explore any aspects of addictions, especially when there's a strong, you know, relational dynamic in it, um, the enabling piece. Mm-hmm. But that's always not the whole picture. No. And it's the same thing like um, when we talk about the, uh, when I talk about the fixer, the saboteur, or the the codependent and the addict and those kinds of things. They're not solid, um, completely differentiated roles. They're, and it also, they're, everyone does have that other, you know, it, well, if we look at a spectrum, you know, sober Paul and, you know, and using Paul or, mm-hmm. you know, or Elena or, you know, sober yeah. Elena and, and using Elena, it's a spectrum. And 
But when you guys were first together, there were some healthy things. Oh, absolutely. In place that you you were able to you know um, probably in, in, in at the least um, you know work with each other as far as helping with each other's self-care and um, it just in the idea that he was willing to or able to help you get off Suboxone. So I'm going to guess, you know, the, the tricky brain goes, yeah, well, get off Suboxone so you can use heroin. But yes. the other part is no, because you probably didn't want to be on maintenance. I mean, I'm no. going to guess. That and I mean, like, I, you know, now I can sit here and say, like, I have absolutely no hard feelings towards this this guy whatsoever. I mean, he was a huge, he had a huge impact mm-hmm. on my life. We did a lot of things together, definitely had a lot of downs, but we had a lot mm-hmm. of fun too. Mm-hmm. And um, we were just not good for each other is where I like to just leave it. Mm. And well, But me going back and saying, oh, could I have been good for him though? And then trying to reopen things, which is something we had done in the past over and over and over again, and it always backfired. How many times did you go back? Would you say just the ballpark? I can't. I don't. I can't even count. Five, I, ten. Probably I about five. Okay. Six, seven times. Are Are you comfortable? To, well, whether you're not, I'm going to ask you anyway. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so, when was the first time he saved your life? Hmm. Do you? The first time we actually did heroin together. The first time? Yep. Oh, my. I didn't know that. Yes. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just did too much, and heroin out here is completely different than the heroin, you know, in Georgia. So Mm -hmm. I did think that I was able to handle a lot more, and Mm -hmm. um, I ended up overdosing pretty bad, and he brought me back. You revived you? Yes. That was the first time. That was, yes, first of many. First of many. How, yeah. How many would you say? Over a dozen times, he's probably. Really? I didn't know it was that many. That's Yeah, that's, it's, I, I don't think I can remember how many times he's probably done that. I just know that when I have come to plenty of times, he's been pretty pissed off that he's had to do it. So, I mean, just such a toxic situation. <laughs> I know we're kind of we laugh about this kind of stuff now. It's I mean, so oh my gosh, up. I had to save your life again. Oh man! <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. To think about it, but it's it's also, I mean, in, in a way, there there's something r- remarkable about the ability to bring someone back to Absolutely. life, and and in, you know, I mean, as crazy as it may sound, it's you know, it's a good thing he was there, right? Because we wouldn't be sitting here. Oh, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah. And and we wouldn't be having this conversation no. and and you uh, celebrating uh, what uh, two and a half two and a half years okay congratulations thank you yeah pretty cool so all this over and over again and and this is the this is kind of that weird part why don't we learn why don't what is it that we don't figure out along the way what is this story that you know I can <laughs> cheat death and I go but. If I've done it once, I mean, I don't know what goes through your head in, in, in the, with this. I'm just curious. You know, I don't think I really even cared if I if I died at some, in some of those moments. I don't think. I mean, I remember, um, you know, I remember on m- multiple occasions of 
you know, putting something into my arm and being like, I really don't care if this takes me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm glad it didn't, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I didn't really care. Did, well then. Okay. So I, I know when at any time in my life that I've, I've sort of had a level of hopelessness and, and, and I, most people I know have felt that. I mean, I know there's a few people out there that have never felt that those feelings, but that's level of hopelessness where, well, if for any reason, you know, this was it, then I accept that. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, have you, I mean, now with some perspective looking back, do you, do you know this, what the source of the pain was that, that you were, you were in at that time that this level of, of self-medication or, 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 um, uh, so, I mean, almost in a way self-harm yeah. to, to yourself. I think I was just so wrapped up and insecure on really who I was mm-hmm. as a person, um, you know, I, I felt like a failure at that point because, you know, at, at, you know, growing up, I mean, I went to alternative school. I, I couldn't, I, I wasn't, I felt like a failure. Like I didn't succeed at college. I didn't, you know, I didn't make the grades that my parents wanted me to make and all. Mm. The, and, you know, I had, you know, I felt like a failure. Okay. And that was a huge problem of mine, feeling that way and just insecure and, and then add toxic relationships on top of that. And, you know, it, it just, that kept me really unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of things that made me happy growing up. Horses and, you know, like competing. What? So you, you, you have a long history of equestrian background okay. yeah <laughs> you have an equestrian background okay. yeah tell it tell let's talk because those are happier times absolutely right? I mean, that was and i think when i disconnected from all of that mm-hmm. uh, when i started getting wrapped up in drugs i let that go mm-hmm. and i think that really did take a toll on me and i didn't realize on you know until later on what an impact like letting that go had on mm-hmm. me and you know because that was my happiness i grew up riding horses i grew up competing and training mm-hmm you know, thoroughbreds off the racetrack to do three-day eventing and, and mm-hmm. jumping and things like that. And, um, you know, going back to, like, my happiest moments, you know, as a, as a kid and, a, a you know, a teenager, a young teenager, mm-hmm. was being out and doing that kind of stuff with friends and going to the barn and competing and working towards goals and things like that. So, you know, and I, when I got wrapped up in my addiction, you know, in high school, mm-hmm. I dropped that Hmm. and you know I never really came to terms with like really saying you know goodbye or you know Mm -hmm. because that was like the love of my life Mm -hmm. and um you know I I missed it I remember the the first time you and I talked about this actually I I was joking with um I think Corey uh, uh last week about the the office the closet, <laughs> <laughs> which they're all very embarrassed about now. They go back and they go, "I can't believe we actually did that." You know, built that little closet, that yes. little therapy closet. I was going, "Yeah, well, when you have nothing, you know, a, closet, yeah. a big closet will do." You yeah, know? absolutely, it's big, it's, make it work. Make it work. I remember talking about this subject um, and your relationship with animals, mm-hmm. and so and the reason why I'm bringing it up is then. When you got this job and you went through this, I mean, for this is how it looked from the outside anyway. 
you went through this remarkable transformation when you started working with animals again. Mm-hmm. And I could see it about you. And, you know, you actually love going to work and for the most part. I mean, Absolutely. You, know, you understand what I'm saying. Yes. But it was like all of a sudden something had been reignited. With you. Mm-hmm. I know it wasn't going back to work with horses again. But it was working with animals. And Absolutely. And something, something's a light came back on. Oh, it, it's yeah. something that I, I mean, I would much rather work with animals than humans. So I don't think that's yeah. But I mean, it was. I mean, I grew up around all sorts of animals, all kinds of dogs and and horses and things like that. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, being able to go to work and you know get to see all these different breeds and you know types of dogs and things like that and being surrounded by them. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's it brings me. I can't really. I can't ever complain about it. Yeah, yeah. I could, but I, I I don't. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just life stuff. I yeah. mean, st- you know, it, 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 it's not usually the dogs, though, that you're the most upset about, probably. It's not. <laughs> I'll just tell you that right it's now. It's the humans that try to, yes. you know, <laughs> try yeah. to control. Yeah, I, I deal with some difficult people. Yeah. So let, let's let's kind of just roll back in and kind of finish up the story. And, you know, you because at some point here, you, you had a, a couple wake-ups. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it... Sometimes the 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 one sort of went, when when you went to Texas and there was one there where you kind of separated outside of your life in Atlanta, and then you came to Utah and you found yourself going you know kind of going back in and you're in this relationship and multiple overdoses, multiple near death experiences, and then something happened. What was the that what was the catalyzing event for you? Do you remember that made me want to do something different? Yeah. Um, it was, a uh, multiple, like, events that happened. Um, I had a complete psychotic break. No. Oh, and... What did that look like? Uh, it was colorful. <laughs> <laughs> it was really colorful. I went out with a bang. Um... <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, I just... I came off medication and then I was using on top of that. So I came off of some psych meds that I was on and, um, you know, again, back in a relationship with this guy that I was using with and been with just, yeah. And, um, things at home were not good. I was still living at home. Um, and I mean, I just, I went on this really angry rampage Mm -hmm. for probably about a good couple weeks. No. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was bad. Go ahead. You, well, you can... <laughs> I, I ended up telling my mom that I was going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily really remember that, mm-hmm. but I do know the cops came and, um, searched through my room and cause mm-hmm. my mom was worried that I actually was going to do something. And like, like, like a mother like would, a parent should. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, right. And um, I mean, I was out of my mind, um, heroin and, and coke, and mm-hmm. you know, off other meds, probably on God knows what else. Mm-hmm. And um, I told the cops, and this is really still like pretty fuzzy to me. I remember bits and pieces mm-hmm. of it, but um, I ended up telling like the cops that I, my mom was trying to shoot me up with heroin, like going like completely nuts, like just doing everything to get the spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Off you of wanted me. to redirect the attention. Absolutely, right, like yeah. take her, don't take me. Right. And um, 
you know, they obviously knew that was a lie. Um, and they took me in and put me in a psych ward for a little bit. Mm. And then, um, did you, and you detox there, I'm going to guess too, or no? No, actually I say there, it was only, they held me for a little over a day and then they released me into the care of someone. And, but I, someone, someone you knew. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someone. It's crazy. I haven't really thought about like all this experience for a while, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it was. We like it that way to be. Yeah. Like I, but then, you know, I was still in trouble and my dad and my mom sat me down and they were like, you need to fucking stop and you need to do something. And, you know, next thing I knew, I was on the phone with Mark. Yeah. And, you know, it was just like, let me just... Because I had been to Wasatch in 2013, Mm -hmm. and then I was coming back Mm -hmm. a year and a half later. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I really was like, okay, let's just try and do this one more time. And let's see if I can... And I honestly... Even leaving treatment, I mean, I was there for four months, Mm -hmm. and... You know, I look back on it now, and I don't even know that if I really thought I wanted to be sober even when I was still there. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I was getting ready to leave and be in sober living. So, but, yeah. It was pretty... Something clicked. Something did. Yeah. And I'm glad it did. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the discussions. I, I can remember... I, I remember some, time, some of the talks, but I, I do... I do remember how powerful it was for you to examine your narratives i mean when we we talk about the victim narrative a mm-hmm. lot and um and the idea of beginning to change some narratives and especially some of the narratives you had about your mom and i i, th- I think that that we all grow up with different kinds of biases and and definitely regardless of age <laughs> the biases that we have towards parents or caregivers can often get very skewed Mm-hmm. Because, you know, especially in the angst of adolescence and early adulthood, a lot of times we don't think people understand us. Yeah. You know? So I'm on the other side of all that now. So I, I kind of look back fondly thinking, well, times are different today. You know, I have a different life and I, now I have kids that all think that I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, it's, it's Jeff, definitely a, ch- a change in a role. Um so when looking kind of looking back on all of that now and, and, and knowing where you are, what was what would you say was the one of your big life lessons that you've learned throughout all this? Probably control. What do you what do you mean control? Like I can only control me. Because controlling others and and doing things like that was something that got me into trouble. Mm-hmm. And um that you know, being only in control of myself and my actions and what I can do is all I can do. Hmm. And, um, you know, realizing that people do the best they can. And, you know, a huge... In my sobriety, the I think one of the biggest things and lessons that I learned was just about my mom. And that whole narrative, me changing... Mm-hmm how I thought about her and, you know, and things like that. I mean, that kind of, that shifted a lot for me. When you say what you thought about her, what was one of those primary changes you saw? (laughs) One of those 
reauthoring or rewriting of a narrative? What what did you notice? What was the, one of the, in- the ones? Well, instead of you know feeling attacked by her or you know not being good enough for her, mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of shifting that, and you know she's doing the best she can with she's doing the best she can with what she knows how, mm-hmm. and she loves me, and I cannot control what she does, but I can step back and not get so involved with it to cause a huge blow up and feel like I set myself back. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I, that's something I worked really hard at. Mm-hmm. You know that. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> many sessions about yeah. that. Well, and that idea that, you know, instead of thinking the problems outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. taking responsibility for our part. Absolutely. In the problem, and, and especially in relationships. One of the things that, um, that I, uh, I, I think, and this probably applies in, in multiple ways um, to our, the human experiences. When the, this, often it's easy to identify the drugs and the alcohol mm-hmm. and, and see those, those different components because of these substances. They're so obvious. Um, the other one, though, that maybe stands out that you, you've talked about or explored today a little bit is the addiction to, to relationships. Mm-hmm. And it's powerful. It's so subtle because it's so ingrained into um, some social constructs, just how we sort of live as human beings, you know, how we partner up. And, yeah. we, and we think that that's going to solve all of our problems, you know, when I have Mr. Mrs. It's you know, yeah. right or, you know, when I have that person that's going to love and take care of me and I'll feel special and I'll be okay. So... When you when you look back on on that dynamic and that relationship, what what are the lessons that that have you feel like have kind of opened up for you that with my mom no, with relationships? Okay, um, that I don't need a man to make me okay. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, I've it's been a while since I've been in a relationship and. I know. I, it's crazy, but I, it's been a while. And I've dated, like, you know, and, you know, whether they work out or not, whatever. But um, I'm okay with being by myself. Yeah. And, you know, before two and a half years ago, uh, I never thought that that would have ever been possible for mm-hmm. me. And I couldn't... I always had a boyfriend. I always had someone to make bad decisions with or you know someone to just like <laughs> like yeah just help me I love that. justify I shitty behavior someone to help me make bad decisions yeah you, well cuz i mean i couldn't put it all on myself no right yeah well that you have that do you you have someone to divert responsibility on absolutely. right absolutely yeah. i mean it's why a lot of people get married yes <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean that's you know learning to be okay without someone is probably biggest lesson and the biggest accomplishment and in, in my sobriety i think and learning to be okay with it yeah yeah well well said what um what what, what brings you joy well um let's see so probably right now i go through like phases but right now um i got a dog dog that I had been waiting for for a really long time and completely opposite of everything that I was looking for in a dog but mm-hmm. um she's uh she's in pre- pretty incredible and she's a herding dog so we're 
going to be traveling and doing clinics and, you know, eventually probably competing in trials and things like that. So, you know, and it, it, it brings me joy because I mean, you know, having her and her opening up these opportunities, I'm back on a farm again. I'm back around horses and I'm back, you know, doing the kind of stuff that I love around good people and, you know, training and what yeah it's sober around animals and horses yeah. and I have it's a dog. crazy i love how you make by the way and also how you made your transition because you got the little cat first right? oh yeah oh she's my pride and joy yeah you got the little cat you, you tried to have roommates uh that didn't work out so well no yeah in fact it was um I, I think about life experience especially people um coming uh out of sober living and you know going moving out on their own for the for the first time mm-hmm. or having a roommate those those can be some of the most chaotic times i mean it's, it's because it's a relationship right oh, absolutely. maybe not all the other dramatic aspects of it are there because it may be someone you're not romantically involved with but oh my gosh the drama is escalates so fast and you know with old roommates i actually see lauren mm-hmm. from time to time and uh, we are, we're friends and we just realized that we're better not living together. <laughs> I am better like living alone you, you in do, my you one do, bedroom. You do much better li- living alone <laughs> by, by all means. Yes. By, by, all, by all means. Um, so kind of, you explained what, how you, you find joy and I, I get that. Um, and it's beautiful to see the full circle. So you're, you're back and you're c- connected through... Um, the farm or the ranch and the animals and the horses and you're raising um what's your dog's name again i'm sorry bama bama yeah okay <laughs> no <laughs> we, we we we're not gonna we're not gonna talk football this, this, You'll, this time. yeah it's yeah, this just time. pointless you'll yeah, yeah, lose no. No, anyway okay. no <laughs> the Last season wasn't the the, didn't probably end up the way you wanted it to. Seventeen national championships. It ended up perfectly. I I got you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No. That and that's like a true, true, true. Bama. Roll tide. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So you've 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 reconnected and you brought these things back into your life that were important to you and it's a way that you kind of connected to something within yourself too absolutely you know and and you felt part of something mm-hmm. i think that's that community and you, this is this idea of, of of connection and we talk about this a lot here is this the difference between addiction you know is is um, Johan Hari's uh, you know I thought that uh, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety it's connection and sobriety is one of the things that that comes from from connecting to people, um, living a sober life and, mm-hmm. and, and having a sober heart and a sober mind. And you've heard my mantra on that for years now. Um, but this idea that also once we connect, we kind of find ways that we have that Zen spot, that Zen zone, zone in our mm-hmm. life, which is kind of what I call this in some ways, because it's, it's a way, this, this whole podcast is a way to get together and connect with people and to kind of also understand that you know what's the value and why we have relationships and the importance of them and and how they do last and grow over time and when when i when you look at your life wh- where is that that way that you find that zen zone or that zen spot in your life 
um, today, you know, for you, that, that you do for your self-care, you know, the, the stuff that brings, you know, you know, the juice, so to speak. Yeah. Probably just out working with animals. I mean, whether it be riding horses or, you know, taking my dog up to some cows or, or goats and, mm-hmm. you know, having her work and train and, you know, coming, realizing like, you know, what she's doing, I trained her for. And she's getting joy out of it. Mm -hmm. And so that brings me joy because she was born to do stuff like this. So I'm, I'm just grateful that I have the opportunity to, to step out and give that to her. Mm -hmm. And cause that brings me happiness. And, but yeah, that's probably, I mean, where I find most happiness is definitely working with animals, Beautiful. my dog and, and going out and I mean, being open to all these new opportunities that I never thought that I'd be doing, like going to Oklahoma or going to Texas and, and watching these dogs compete, what they train year round for. And, um, you know, being offered to be invited to a a training clinic with Mm -hmm. one of the best trainers Mm -hmm. and having them work with Bama and, and me and just soaking it all up. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I like being around in that environment and, just it's peaceful and it's it just brings me back to childhood and and things that i love doing you know i remember recently um well it was sometime last year actually where you kind of reconnected with your your other family a little bit do you, do you want to talk about what that was my like? father yeah your father and, and oh. it seemed like your other brother too right because mm-hmm. there, there was something that that you know, you, it had been a while, right? Yeah. I, mean, I don't remember how long, but... We, we... It had been almost five years, probably. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I when I got involved with my addiction and stuff, I, I mean, I, I always felt uncomfortable talking to, to them about it, mm-hmm. just because, you know, my brother and my dad lived together um, in Georgia on the 100 acres that we have mm-hmm. um, out there. And, um, you know, I never really had much in common with my father, um, but... You know, as I, you know, more time I had sober and, you know, kind of trying to reconnect and and find like common ground on what to talk about and Mm -hmm. and things like that, you know, um, I I struggled with that with him. And um, it was very, it was just uncomfortable for me, I think, Mm -hmm. trying to connect with with him. And then I I took a trip out there for Christmas and I I saw him and I spent time with my, you know, my father and Mm -hmm. my brother and my grandparents and and things like that. And I mean, and it was amazing and I was so scared to go. And I mean, I was creating all these stories in my head of what it was going to be like and expectations and things like that. And, you know, I got there and I was just like, this is what it's going to be. And this is got to accept it. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I mean, it was incredible. And, you know, now, and it was kind of weird how everything worked out with reconnecting with my, my dad. Um, but I got this dog and, he started he, there. My brother and my dad are big dog people. Mm-hmm. My my brother has a working dog himself. Mm-hmm. He's got um, and hunts and things like that. But <clears throat> I, I started talking to my dad almost every day because he oh. was helping me with Bama because she is an aggressive cattle dog and mm-hmm. she she has a lot of drive and I I didn't I didn't know what I was like getting myself into when I had rescued her and then mm-hmm. I mean he kind of walked me through it and mm-hmm. was like this is what you need to do like so we kind of bonded a uh-huh. lot over that kind of thing 
And um, so I talk to him probably mm-hmm. three times a week. Wow. I mean. So this was this was really a, a reconnection and. And again, getting back into, I mean, this is what's so fascinating about this when you say that, you know, this is my Zen spot as well as, you know, what brings me joy. They're the same thing. And it's my connection to the earth and animals and mm-hmm. nature. And then it's also reconnecting me with my family. Yeah. I mean, it, I have it's, so. M- it's really an incredible story. It really is. Yeah. And I mean, I have, you know, everything to thank for that dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, it's crazy. Now, isn't, hasn't your dad. I mean, been doing better. I mean, I, I don't know if he had some sober time or. or, or um, I know he's still. He, or he moderates yeah. differently nowadays. So. Yes, yeah. and so I don't. I don't really go to those topics with sure. him. Um, you know, I know that he's. You know, if something went bad, my brother is there. You know, if sure. something happened or whatever. Right. Um, but but it, it's different. His 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 life is not based. He's not he's not a practicing alcoholic no. at this time. So, and I and I don't look at, at least from what I yes. I can see. But he's present when you're talking. Absolutely. to Absolutely. And this is a, an important point that, and we talk about this a lot um, on uh, just another bozo on the bus because um, sobriety looks different for different people. And I that's why I use the word sobriety as not being the opposite of addiction, um, but um, sobriety being a state of mind because there are people that can moderate and um it's not for me to tell them that they're not sober if they're living an honest true life of integrity mm-hmm. and so i don't you know I, I i was for a long time you know working in this field for a long time that it's black and white it's all or nothing and i realize really how horrible of a way that is to treat other people mm-hmm. that or maybe it's not horrible but it's it's bias and yes. prejudice and it's discriminating and um so well, that's why when i say this with your dad mm-hmm. is that not to to judge and just the opposite to say that you guys have learned to connect absolutely and create a new dynamic in a relationship yeah and one that's it's authentic and real and nurturing for you i guess that's I, where i'm going yeah and i don't think honestly without you know a lot of the guidance that my dad has given me with, you know, the dog and everything, uh-huh. like, you know, I wouldn't have the opportunities. I wouldn't have gone. And I mean, he told me, you need to do this. You need to find this, 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 uh-huh. you know, you, and I, I did it. I mean, I listened and I did it and I'm just so grateful I did. And, you know, we talk all the time now and it's, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. I, uh, congratulations. Thanks. This is the, one of those great stories. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> it really is. It is a life transformational story. Uh, and and it couldn't happen to a, a better person. Well, thanks, Paul. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're going to kind of move over a little bit right now. Um, move on. Um, and uh, I, I know you and I have some similarities in this topic when we talk about faith and or religion or God or the universe or, you know, spiritual connection mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. And how do you find that in your life? How do you, how do you connect sp- to, to spirit or to some, you know, I, I mean, some people say higher power or whatever. What, what terminology do you do? Do you have a language that no, you use? No, not really. Okay. Honestly. Okay. Um, do I believe something's out there? Yes. Yes. I mean, do you? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, this this topic is uh, is a weird one for me because mm-hmm. um, I I've never really been much of a a spiritual person mm-hmm. and um, I, yeah I don't I don't know I don't really do you, well maybe let me ask it in this way do you find 
that spiritual connection kind of opens up for you in nature. I Absolutely. Mean, that, that's, yes. I mean, and I think that's what you and yeah. I probably have in common is when I'm out, it doesn't matter if it's the mountains, you know, or the desert, the forest, you know, out in a field of, of wheat, mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel this, you know, yes, that's right. Non-GMO organic wheat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're right you gotta make sure yeah, no, you say just, that uh, you know, that G- <laughs> i don't know how spiritual that gmo stuff is no I'm kidding the um <laughs> it, it that's that's where i feel it i yeah. feel like when i'm I, and i feel connected so deeply to the earth and it, whether i want to say the universe or not and mm-hmm. and um and that idea of you know that resonates within me and I think yeah. that happens when I connect with people too, like a community. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely notice it um, in in some ways when um, I, f- I find myself t- connecting um, to people that I mean that are uh, you know whether it be my my kids or um, you know friends or clients or anything. That there's, there's those moments where I go, this is this is it. Yeah, that I, I can see something happen. And I, I can, and I feel connected to that that experience. Uh, maybe it's um, a, you know a group or a joined experience of, of some kind. Um, and the the same kind of thing can. It, it's like I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with refuge recovery. We we, we talk a, lot, a little bit. Um, but the, those meetings of people meditating together, mm-hmm. and that's what they do. They spend you know fifteen twenty minutes uh, on, in those those meetings doing that, and that's a really spiritual experience for me is group meditation. Uh, normally, I, I wouldn't have thought that was something I, I would like, but I learned it when I was actually uh, studying for my um, uh, count my first counseling degree in transpersonal psychology was learning about group meditation, and I do I do it in a room with a hundred or hundred and fifty people, which was wild at the time. Um, yeah. and I learned a lot about myself you know what was I comfortable with was I com- being really vulnerable with that many yeah. people allowing my voice to come up especially if we were saying mantras together you know that seemed a little mm-hmm. I felt a little out of place so. yeah yeah anyway yeah I think it would be definitely nature for me mm-hmm. and just you know being out and doing what I love I mean I you can't beat that okay Sorry. All right, so we're, we're gonna, I, told, I told you we're going to talk about this. So I'm, I'm going to let you decide what you want to talk about. I, 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 this idea of you know whether you you know when you have a song that you think represents your life in some way, or if you're going to have a playlist at your life celebration. You know, some people call that a funeral, but I, you know, you can call it whatever you want. If there was going to be a song or songs, or is anyone anything stand out to you? A song that would kind of speak. Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You... No, that totally would be played at my celebration. <laughs> some, some, some Skinner? Yeah. And, okay. you know, throw some, you know, Georgia on my mind by Ray Charles. And... Oh, I love that song. I, yeah. I do. Okay. So a little, a little Ray Charles and a little Skinner. Yeah. I, I, I don't say Leonard because, uh, you know, that when I... I, I grew, when I grew up in the 70s I may mean, grew up in the 60s but uh, when Leonard Skinner first came out it was like uh, the people that uh, that I knew from the east they would say no you say Skinner mm-hmm. uh, okay I get that okay. <laughs> yeah I mean definitely those they'd be played in mine right. celebration of life okay celebration of life perfect alright 
Um, all right. I think we're anything else that you want to share about the, your 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 story, your life uh, that, that's happening at the moment? That pearl of wisdom. Uh, do you have a, a pearl of wisdom to share? I don't know if it'd be a pearl of wisdom, but um, you know, when I was like starting out in like recovery, mm-hmm. and you know, I surrounded myself with like only people in recovery Mm -hmm. and I I really isolated myself because I was scared Uh of trailing off the path sure and you know didn't want to stray I didn't want to stray and I wanted to do everything just right and that's why I went to sober living that's why I did IOP and Mm -hmm. aftercare for felt like years (laughs) um you know because I that's what I felt like I needed Uh, and so I did that Uh and you know but now it's 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 I look back and I mean like now I I don't really hang out with too many people mm-hmm. that are in recovery. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't hang out with a lot of people. You know, I stay connected here and there, but I I like being able to be open to other people and, you know, not, you know, shunning them away because they oh god, they smoke weed or they drink. You know, and I I mean I surround myself with people who are all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've met a lot of good friends doing that. And that's, uh, be open, being open to other people and not so isolated and what you're comfortable with has also been a, it's had a huge impact on my sobriety and, and how I am because I know I can't sure. Can I go out to a bar with these people and they can drink? Mm -hmm. I do. I No. you know. I, I know I can't do that. I mean, I could, but is it going to turn out good? No, not at all. <laughs> is it going to make your life better? Is no. Really what it is. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm just... I think that is one of the... Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Really, because there's so much truth in that about not... about uh, uh, Because it, it can become slightly um, discriminatory to only hang around with people that, you know, from, I mean one flavor and that would be the recovery flavor right and i I see it's important to you know be able to do to be with you know be and embrace people and support people in recovery but it's also there's a a time to get on with life absolutely and embrace embrace the magic all around us Mm -hmm. not just in certain places yeah and i you know i like i said i have more friends probably who aren't in recovery than than actually are and it's been a crazy experience to get to where I am today, and I'm definitely grateful for all of it. All right. Even the hard lessons. <laughs> hard rain's going to fall. <laughs> all right. Yeah, sorry, Bob. All right. Um, Lena, thank you so much yeah, for spending, of course. Thank you. spending the afternoon with us. Um, this will end it for Episode 7, and as, you, as always, we will go out with a little Joan... Osborne. Thanks. You guys have a good week.
What would it look like and would you want